Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is Tommy Darker, the founder of MusicpreneurHub.com. But first of all, if your videos are on YouTube and you're not happy with the amount of money that you're making from them, well, there may be a reason, and the reason is not what most people think. It turns out that Of course, there's a 55-45 split on the ad revenue from your videos. So if there are ads on your video, you're getting 55% of that revenue. Now let's forget if there's a record label in between that's actually taking some of your 55%. Let's just say you're an independent artist and you're getting that 55% split. Well, that all sounds well and good, but the fact of the matter is ads are not playing on every single one of your videos, which is why the amount of return is so small. There's new data that has found that ads are only playing on 35 to 45% of all music videos. And this is down from about 60% in 2012. Now, YouTube says they're paying out a huge amount of money every year, $1 billion. But when you consider that they're making $79 billion a year in ad revenue, that's really not all that much. It turns out there's a lot of reasons why you may not be making the amount of money you think. And the biggest one is, of course, there's not ads on every single video, and there's a number of reasons why. The first one is advertisers don't necessarily want their ads on music videos. So if you have an advertiser that just refuses to have their stuff on music videos, then you're kind of out of luck. Again, there's a number of other things too. It's the type of advertiser. So if you're lucky enough to get Rolls Royce or Mercedes or a really high-end advertiser, then they're paying more money than someone like Target, for instance, who's not paying too much at all, and they're pretty much on the bottom. So that has a lot to do with it, the advertising rates. Also, time of year. There are some times of year, like around Christmas, for instance, the holiday season, when the ad rates are higher and there's more advertising going on rather than the middle of the summer. Then it turns out that YouTube actually doesn't want to to serve up too many ads to its users. So intentionally, they're going to stop some ads from actually appearing on music videos. The reason why is if you have too many music videos in a row with pre-roll ads, you're going to find users will just move on to something else because they don't want to sit through that many. So YouTube intentionally stops some of these ads from happening. Then, of course, we have ad blockers, and lately there's a brand new concern for safety. So, for instance, hate videos, violence, sex, drugs, all those things are actually playing into if ads are going to show on your videos. So, if your ad suggests any of those things, chances are you're not going to have any ads on the videos. And even if you do, they might be paying a decreased rate. Now, it turns out that the average right now, according to YouTube, is about $3 per thousand that they're paying. But record labels are saying, well, wait a second, we see it between a dollar and two dollar per thousand. Now, when you look at Spotify, for instance, they're paying out a dollar fifty cents per thousand streams on their ad supported tier. On the other hand, on their paid tier, they're paying about six dollars per thousand. So there's a big difference there between how much money is being made on ad supported tiers and on services like Spotify versus YouTube. So there's a lot of things that go into the amount of money that's being generated on YouTube. The best way to look at it is anything that you make from YouTube is gravy. 
you can't depend on it as a regular source of income. You have to look at it like, oh boy, this is a surprise if you make anything off of it at all. If you look at it like the radio, where radio airplay, unless you're a songwriter, you're not making any money out of that either, but it is visibility. It is marketing. And if you kind of look at it like that, it's a little bit different. However, it's really easy to get upset over the amount of money that's being generated via YouTube. But there's a lot of reasons why that's happening. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. The second edition of my social media promotion for Musicians Handbook is now available on Amazon, iBooks, Ingram, and a bookstore near you. It's the manual for marketing yourself, your band, and your music online, and covers how to use virtually every important online platform for promotion. Also, you might want to check out my courses at bobbyosinskicourses.com. <laughs> Now here's something interesting and very surprising. Believe it or not, there's a worldwide shortage of magnetic tape for cassettes. What this shows is cassettes are making a big comeback, so much so that there's a shortage. You can't find the tape anymore, and it turns out there's less than a year's supply left. When you look at the amount of cassettes that are being made, it's really surprising. Now, for instance, last year, National Audio, which is the biggest duplicator in the United States, they had their biggest year ever, ever. And this goes way, way back to the days when cassettes were really a big thing. So who's making cassettes? Well, there's one church, the Joyce Mayer Ministries, that duplicate 250000 per week. That's a million a month. Burger Records, which is an all-cassette label, has done more than 500,000. Then you have Metallica, Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, that do regular runs of 20,000 themselves. So this is a big thing right now. It's getting bigger. It's very much under the radar, but it's really happening. So what's going to happen, given that there's a worldwide shortage of cassette tape? Well, it turns out that you can get cassette tape, but only in China right now. And it seems that it's a very, very bad grade. It's good enough for dialogue only, for speech only. doesn't cut it at all for music. So National Audio is now opening up their own cassette tape manufacturing plant. It's the first such tape plant in about 40 years or so, and maybe even longer in the United States. But what this means is we'll be able to get cassettes for a long, long time. Musicpreneur Hub is a global community of music entrepreneurs where you can ask anything about music and your question will be connected with hand-picked top industry experts to answer. Tommy Darker is a musician, a lecturer at University of Westminster, a speaker at global music conferences everywhere, and the founder of Musicpreneur Hub. We spoke about the site and his plans to expand the idea beyond music via Skype from his office in the UK. For the people that are listening that aren't familiar with Musicpreneur, can you explain what that is? Okay, so the musicpreneur, in my mind at least, and from my experience, is a person, a musician, that creates, so they think as an artist, but also they think of themselves as a business, as an entrepreneur. And they create business models, a portfolio of revenue streams, and they see their fans as, a, as an audience, not as the only audience that is a potential buyer, but also there is other groups of audiences like corporations, um, like um, schools, like any, any person that can get value or group of people that can get value from what they offer. So 
in a way, a musicpreneur opens up the possibilities to seeing their music as only one potential source of value for people. And there are so many other things you can do around music. So you can, you can structure a scalable business. So uh, essentially, yeah, it's having a switch between making art and then creating a business. And then the website, Musicpreneur, how did that come about? So the website, by the way, we're in right now, we're rebranding. So uh, the name Musicpreneur Hub is uh, temporary because in the future, we see our platform as an educational hub for all creative industries, including fashion, photography, um, design. We are restructuring everything towards the name WISE. Uh, WISE with uh, W-H-I-I-S-E, six-letter words. Yeah. And then music will be a component of that. But in general, the, the platform that is now called Musicpreneur Hub is a place where everybody can ask a question around the music industry. And then we have a database, a big database is growing of hand-picked experts in the music world, and they reply. And that all happens for free. So we facilitate the interaction between the asker and the expert, and then everything in between. So people, what, what they can do when they go on the website, they can go ask a question, and then we find the right expert or experts to answer, but they can also browse existing answers from people all over the world. It's very cool. Since it's free, how do you monetize it? So at the moment, um, we try to create an alternative educational system from the universities. So at the moment, we are creating these experiences that last 100 days. They start with a masterclass, then it's a week of goal setting, and then 100 days of the participants actively doing things every day to achieve a goal. And we play the accountability partner. We are the people that motivate them or give them advice every day because we have access to a diary where they write down the answer a few questions, they take part in challenges, and they write down what they're doing. So we can always keep an eye on what's happening. And we're trying to find better ways to analyze the keywords and what's happening, any, any emotional words that you know, people might be using, which means that they might be in trouble or they feel great. And we try to inspect that. And then on the same side, we're partnering with experts that are, are working as mentors. So people can purchase mentoring hours with one-on-one time. And we have a community as well where they can help each other out and tell everybody you know, what they do. So we try to offer this kind of educational product where people, hopefully 100% of the participants will actually achieve their goal in 100 days. And then in the future, we're having in mind revenue streams such as creating a marketplace where companies and individuals can promote their products uh, or give them bundles, deals, freebies, and we can get a, like a percentage, like a 3% of each transaction. And then also we're thinking about becoming a tool for universities as an additional educational tool for universities, for their students to go and ask questions and get additional um, knowledge by experts and, and people, knowledgeable people that are not in the university physically, because that's a big problem. I'm, I'm a lecturer in two universities. So this is what we're thinking about. I'm pretty sure we're in the infancy as we speak, it's October, as we speak, we're five months old. I like the idea of musicpreneur because, like you, I spend a lot of time in different universities speaking, 
And I'm not going to name any names, but most of them have an old-fashioned view of what their students will do. So in other words, the, the view is let them get a job when they come out. We're preparing you for a job. And if you're in the music industry, you make your own job. You're an entrepreneur. Because if you do, in fact, get a job, it's usually short-term. It doesn't last for your whole life. And there are only a couple of schools that I know of, in the United States anyway, and one in Canada, that really have the approach of, we're going to teach you how to be an entrepreneur and to make your own gig, because that's what we as musicians do. So I like where you're coming from, because it's coming from the right place. And it's something that isn't touched on enough in the business. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, what we're trying to do in general, it comes from a place of, of our own frustration. And myself as a musician, as an entrepreneur, as an educator, I see that there is a lot of things missing. So instead of just complaining about it, like a lot of people, you know, find the the avenue of, of, of complaining you know, as a way to get out of their system, um, I'm trying to create something. And there is a community of around 2,000 people at the moment that care about it. And I'm privileged enough to be connected with brilliant people that have their own communities. So hopefully in the future, everybody united will actually create an ecosystem. And, and I, I think this is the issue we have right now. We're in a transitional phase where the big labels used to have an ecosystem in place. The, the paths of succeeding were pretty straightforward. You know, you had to do this and this and that. But then with the internet and Napster, things changed. And still there is no ecosystem in place where an independent Music, musician, entrepreneur, musicpreneur can have actually a checklist of things to do like before. Things are more messy. There are many options. There are many tools. So what we're trying to do, I think what you're trying to do, what everybody's trying to do here is we're trying to create like an ecosystem, a, a pathway for people. We'll, we'll see. It's a battle. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, for me, I've written 23 books and a lot of them are in second, third, fourth, fifth editions. So I've gone through the process a lot of times. But the only reason why I ever wrote a book was because I wanted to learn something myself. And I figured that if I was interested in a particular subject or subcategory, then there must be other people as well. And from that, it kind of exploded where it was like, well, wait a second. Yes, there are a lot of people that are interested in this subject, but not many of them are understanding maybe the basics of what they have to do. They go from here and they try to make a jump to here without going in the middle and taking the logical steps. So I understand that's what you're trying to do, basically, when you take people or, or the, the idea of taking people from the university through the next step, which is usually the most difficult for them. That's admirable, I think, that you do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, we're, we're trying to do something and... Um Hopefully, everybody's going to be in a better place. I hope that my children, if they ever get into music, I hope there is an ecosystem in place that uh, can help them achieve things. You know, not like um, like when I started. It was still MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> so there was still pretty much, that was the only platform. And then after MySpace, boom, so many other platforms. So, so yeah, let's see. Let's see. We're, we're all in this together. That's how I see it. You know, I don't see competition. Competition, I see uh, people working together, hopefully, to achieve something. Life was so much easier in the MySpace days. <laughs> because that's <laughs> Let's not go into the it. only place you, you, know, you needed to be and the fact that record labels would really look at that and use it to a great degree and determine what they signed and, and how they promoted. 
And, you know, as with everything, when people started to game the system, that's kind of when everything kind of went away that, or, or that ideal went away. Now we find it everywhere where, you know, record labels looked to YouTube for a while and it was like, okay, the number of views. And then now you can game that. And then Twitter and you and Facebook, you can game all those views, all those friend counts, follower counts. Then you look at it and you go, well, anything that someone teaches you, you read a book or you read a, a post and six months later, it's outdated, if not sooner. So the difficulty is to keep up with information and keep it as timely as possible because it moves so quickly. I mean, this, this is the, the issue that I have. A lot of people think that this is a difficult thing to do. You know what, for me, the way that I see it is that as businesses, we have a business model in place. And then we choose tools and information and content to make it work. Now, the way we deliver value to an audience, it can be done through a platform, it can be done through the way we create content, but all these things you know, can be outdated, they can change, the way we distribute things can change, but the business model might still be the same. You know, We're all looking for the basic same triangle. We're looking for value we create, an audience, and then monetary exchange revenue. If, if no matter how we deliver this triangle, you know, no matter how it happens with whatever content or tools, it's the same for me. So again, the tools are just tools. I, I don't really give them so much value. Once you start building a business around a tool, let's say everybody starts building a business around Patreon, and then Patreon goes away because it's a, it's a company. It's a lovely company, but still a company that can disappear at any point. Then you're, you're pretty much screwed. So that's why I always tell my students, and that's what I do. I never rely on tools. And I would never tell people even to rely on my business. You know, I wouldn't tell everybody build a business around what I do. Because when I go away, you never know what's happening. You know, I might die. And then boom, the company, you know, disappears. You never know. Knock on wood. But it's again, it's all about being able to recognize what you can what tools to, to do, you know, to use, what kind of um, content to distribute and how to do it most effectively. And, and that's all about being an entrepreneur, being flexible. I mean, you know all these things. Um, but for me, uh, what you said, you know, that the information changes and getting updated all the time and you have to update your book so they can stay relevant. This is something that is the modern way, the way of surviving, you know. We, we need to do that. It's not a bad thing at all. No, it's beautiful. I mean, from the standpoint that you can't live on the information that you had a year ago, you can but chances are you're going to start to fall behind because it'll change. So it forces you to keep up with things. Again, not a bad thing at all, but it keeps life busy, that's for sure. Especially on social media, you know, you do anything social and it becomes busy anyway and this just makes it busier. The problem of being a music entrepreneur or any kind of entrepreneur is the fact that you can spend so much time on business that you don't spend enough time in creating. You know, it's just a thing that, got you into business to begin with. So there has to be a balance. And I think finding ways and finding tools to strike that balance more easily is kind of the way to go. Wouldn't you think? Well, whenever I think that I'm busy, I think of Elon Musk. <laughs> this guy, is, he has, I don't know, five, six companies all doing different things. You know, he's sending stuff to space and then solving the traffic problem, <laughs> this and that. So I cannot complain that I'm busy. I just need to find a better way to make it happen. 
And uh, for sure, if we live in the Western world, we're privileged one way or another. So, and we got all the tools that we need. So um, I wouldn't like to complain about this. You know, the switch between art and, and business, you can find it. So far at the scale where I am personally, I found the balance. So I can, I can be an entrepreneur, a musician, and an academic on the same time, and also have a relationship, you know, and I live in a very expensive city, London. So I found the balance. But it's a constant battle. But you know what? It's interesting. If you don't like what you do, then you just don't do, don't do it. But I love all these four things. I love having a relationship. I love teaching to students, you know, passing on the things that I know. I love being a musician. Right now, we're trying to get number one in the charts. And then I, I love building a business because this way I can, I, can, I can give more value to more people all around the world. So why not do all these things? Why not find the best ways? You know, it's... it's it kind of makes sense for me. So I'm not sure. I, I cannot quite relate with people that feel that, oh, it's so difficult. Then just don't do it. Do what you really love doing and then build a team maybe of people and pay them. You know, but do you need to find a way to make money one way or another so you can pay people to do these things. Yeah, and, and that's the whole key because you can't be great at everything, especially the business aspect. Some people have a natural flair for it and other people don't. Or some people have a flair for marketing and, and they could care less about accounting and and you know the nuts and bolts of, of doing things or vice versa legal accounting royalties sure sure and, and there's so much you know, again there are some people that are just naturally predisposed to do that but not many i mean most of us when we began playing we began for fairly selfish reasons but for the most part it was always because there was something about the music that did something to us that made us that attracted us and I really hate for that to go away when you're swamped with other things. And it's happened for me through the years at times where I'd be just swamped with one thing or another and I'd forget about the music. A big part of my life would, would disappear. And sometimes it'd be even difficult to get back to it because then you begin to think about yourself in a different way. There's a migration to go back to it and almost a forced migration to do it. So I, you probably haven't discovered that yet, or or I wouldn't say discover is the word. You haven't encountered it yet. It, it's life. I'm pretty sure um, that there's going to be more challenges in the future, you know, things that will happen. I still don't have a family, for example. I don't have children. So uh, when I do have a family and children, I think uh, I'll, you know, start reevaluating everything that I do. But again, um, just like I believe, just like I learned things before, I was in the army, for example. I was working for NATO. I had 12-hour shifts, and I used to carry a gun and a radio and, you know, do all the army-related stuff. But then at the same time, I, had, I was making music. And then I quit to make music full-time. And then I started doing the business thing, and then I realized that now I need to have a team of people to do that for me. And, you know, and then now I have a team of people so I can focus more on music. It's all about balancing and rebalancing. You know, uh, a few years ago, when I was first doing, making music, I didn't have a relationship. Now I do have a relationship. It's getting pretty serious. So then in the future, I guess, it's going to go somewhere nice, yeah. hopefully. Um, so I guess it's always a matter of balancing, you know, things. And, 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 and personally, I really love spreadsheets and boxes and calendars. So I always set my time, you know, like this is the time where you make music. And now this is the time where you answer emails, et cetera. So you're the guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tommy, tell me about your background. There's a journey here that, that's interesting because nobody gets into music 
to go into the business part of music for the most part, unless you set out that way and you know you're not musically inclined. And there, there's plenty of people that do that. But most musicians don't get into it for the business part. So let's go back to the musical part and, and go from there. Yeah. So as of, so now we're in October, 2017. In one month, I'm turning 30. So I'm, I'm fairly young. But during that time, I, I managed to, to spend seven years in the army, three years, um, three of, of these years in NATO, in Belgium. Um, originally, I'm from Greece. So before the, even the internet, you know, the financial crisis of Greece, I was, I, I left Greece because of, of the army. And then I discovered that the songs that I was making, you know, for hobby, actually were of value for a few people. And then I had the money because of the army and I was spending time in the studio. So I started creating, you know, you know, with all the, the fears of a creator that doesn't know if there's any value in what they do, I started making music. And uh, then we started winning competition, this one, this thing, and then playing live and then releasing something. And all of a sudden I realized that, you know what, this is what I love doing. And, and it was encouraging. The signs, you know, of, of, of small scale success were encouraging. Uh, so then I quit. I, I saved money. I sold everything that I had. My car, my lovely car. Uh, I haven't driven, you know, since then. Uh, my furniture. And then I moved to London. Because I thought, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. And then, by meeting people, a lot of people in London, I didn't know anybody, by the way. And, and I've never been a freelancer before, so my, my life was like an, a white, empty canvas. And I had to just draw on it from the beginning. It was, it was very scary. Let alone that um, I broke up with my girlfriend when I moved to London, and I was crying for like two weeks and calling my friends on Skype to complain and then all of a sudden, it, you, it's not sustainable. So I started meeting people. And I guess I'm kind of social, so people would open up and tell me their issues. And, and this is when the time came to, to see that even in London, a big city where things are happening and people want to move there to get things done and build a career, there is a lot of problems. And one of the issues was that there was nothing between blogs and universities. Universities... The, you, you have to commit for three years. You have to pay the tuition, which is pretty expensive in London. Even, it's less expensive than the US, but still it's expensive. And then you've got blogs. Blogs come and go. So far, I've seen just one blog actually being there from the beginning of my career. And it, it's kind of saddening. You know? But in general, there was nothing in between. So starting organizing these talks, I, brought, I, I was bringing people from the music industry. I would approach them. Um, come over, have a chat with us, and then 50, 60 musicians would be there in our chat network. And that whole thing became the, the community that eventually uh, brought me the first money as an entrepreneur. But that was not the plan. The plan was to share case studies of what I was doing with my own music online. So I was doing that. And I was helping a lot of people for free, and I was organizing my shows, and I was recording stuff, and I was moving to Belgium from London, and this and that. And, and it was unsustainable, but I was doing it. Uh, and eventually, I realized that what I'm sharing online is being discovered by students because the students cannot find anything related to music entrepreneurship. There was nothing officially, no book out there, you know, think like an entrepreneur, lean startup, music business models. And then I started getting quoted in their theses and their dissertations and stuff. That was fun. Yeah. And I started getting invited. That was not a plan. I started getting invited to teach one-off sessions in different universities. And then I started doing this internationally and eventually all over Europe. And, and, and then 
a university, uh, what, you know, the University of Westminster in London, asked me to to take um, a, the position of a lecturer, and I did it, and it was fun. And then Berkeley College of Music, six months later, asked me, would you like to to teach in the master's program in Valencia? And I did that too. And then a third university asked me via Twitter, but they didn't have the budget, so I, I ended up teaching in two universities, and it was fun. But that whole thing took away time from my own music. So after teaching for, for four months in, in Berkeley, I decided that I'm going to back down on how much I'm teaching and I'm going to go back to making more music. So that was two years ago when I started touring Greece, where I come from, so I can reinvent my music. My music was like Depeche Mode. It was the type of music that most people make in, in the UK. You know, it's the, the mecca of synth pop and yeah. post-punk music. Yeah. So I, I decided that I was not any different from all the people over here. But I do have the Greekness in me. So if I added a few of the Greek elements, the odd rhythms, the melodies, the instruments into my music and create some hybrid music like folk and new wave, like folk wave, then that would be interesting. So I'm in the process right now. I have recorded one demo. There, there was good reactions from uh, the people in, in, in the UK. I recorded that tour audiovisually. So I can create a documentary about it. And I'm talking with Vice right now. Hopefully I'm going to get a deal one of the next months. But on the same time, I'm starting a campaign as we speak about getting number one in the charts in the UK. So I can go big with my reinvented music. So I'm, I'm very busy with that. And half my day is my startup. Uh, I've backed down even more from lecturing because I want to focus on doing more. And then half of the day is my music. So it's, it's kind of getting interesting. And this is where we are. Maybe in a few months, I'll, I'll be number one in the UK. That's going to be interesting. Even a song is good enough so you can create the buzz and then people take you seriously. And then you might get a deal with, with Vice or any other channel to release that documentary. And then you never know what's going to happen. So this is where I am right now. It's a, it's, it's a long five-year five journey. You know, I do hope you get to number one. And, but even if you don't, when you're finished with that particular campaign, I love to hear about it because you're going into this with a very specific goal in mind where most people who create music, they don't really think about that. They think, I would like to have a hit. I would like a lot of people to like this. I hope it makes the charts, but they're not thinking about it like you are. When this is over, I'd love to hear your steps that you took because yeah. it, it sounds like you have a plan in how to do this. There is a plan, but... When the plan hits the audience, you know, you get punched in the face. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> so that's true. There is a plan. There is a plan A, B, C, D, W. But we'll see, we'll see what works. But the thing is, if actually, if I do get to number one, that's not going to be any random fact. That's going to be no luck there. Or There might be some good timing. For example, I decided to launch a Kickstarter campaign because I saw that Kickstarter will start promoting in November projects where the rewards are going to be interactive. I'm going to launch a campaign just because of that. Maybe I can get a push from Kickstarter and this way I can reach to a broader audience. And because I'll relate that song with a cause, I'll probably relate it to mental health so I can try to help people. If it gets to the number one, why not use that as a way to help more people? So I decided to embed that and I have somebody close to me that has problems like this. So I decided to start discovering more how I can help my loved one and also at the same time, you know, try to help more people. So there is, there is different natures, there's different faces in the whole project. There is a commercial aspect, 
but there is also a social aspect and then there is a personal as- aspect as well. So we'll see how it's going to go. Um, but definitely it's going to be no random fact. You know, if it gets number one, it's going to be a plan and parts of it are going to work. Parts of it are not going to work, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up every day and I'll do my part and I'll see what happens and I'll respond to that. So I guess this is the, if, if it's going to be successful, it's going to be because of that. I'm showing up every day and evaluating as rationally as possible what's, what's happened and what do I need to do now. I don't know who said this, but someone famous has a quote of, it's something like half of success is just showing up every day. I think that was Woody Allen. Yeah, it might be, yeah. Or it was 90% of success is just showing up every day, something like that. That's easier said than done for many people. I work every day, no matter what, I, I do it, but I know that there's a lot of people that they just can't work that way. They have to work in spurts where they feel creative, and otherwise they're just not. <laughs> they're not doing anything. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you know you have to know how it works for you, and you're working in a, a different level. So, so yeah, on the one hand, we have uh, Bukowski, uh, where he said that, if you don't love what you're doing, just stop doing it. You need to love it 100%, and then you need to be inspired, and it's going to inspire you, et cetera. And then on the other hand, we have Pressfield uh, that calls it resistance. You need to show up no matter what and beat resistance every day. Yeah. I'm more towards Pressfield. You know, I do believe that resistance is what you need to overcome, and I'm not waiting for any inspiration. So again, I'm trying to get my work done. It's very difficult, I know. Um, I have the, the discipline of the army, that was great, actually. Yeah. After seven years, I used to wake up five o'clock every day. So it's kind of easy for me to wake up and, and tame myself, my urges to sleep a little bit more. But on the same time, this is something that I would like to share with, with a lot of people, is that I have this, this little secret um, that keeps me going. I'm building an audience, and I let my audience know about what I'm going to do next. So I know that if I don't do it, I'm going to embarrass a lot of people. So if you do that, if you don't keep things for yourself and you make them public, then eventually you commit. And I'm all about sharing stuff because sharing makes things real. And, and even if I have an idea, I'm telling you right now about something that might never happen. I'm telling you that I'm going to get to number one and have the, I'm, I'm persuaded that I'm going to make this happen. It, it's not real yet, right? But I'm sharing it because the more I share it officially to as many people as possible, the more real I make it and the more I commit myself verbally. Yeah. It's like visualizing in the morning, you know, people meditate, visualize things. I'm telling things to others, like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then everybody knows, so I, cannot have, I have no excuse not to make it. Last question. What is the best piece of business advice that either you received from someone or maybe you learned along the way? Right. Um, actually, there are two. One, of, one, one is what I've discovered. The other thing is what my mentor told me. So the thing that I've discovered is that Business is this triangle that I told you before. Value, audience, and revenue. If people feel drowned, they don't know what to do next, it's, try, it's like fire. You know, business cannot exist without these three elements. So make sure you know what you're bringing to the table, to whom, or you know, to which organization, or to which person or group of people, and then how you can have an exchange, monetary exchange, so you can get revenue. So this is something that I discovered, simplifies things, you know, it's great. Uh, So that's what I'm trying to do all the time. And then the second piece of advice from my mentor, who created the first luxury olive oil. (laughs) It's kind of fun. 
it's a commodity, it's olive oil. And he turned it into a luxury product. And what he said to me, and then in many interviews, is that this olive oil is not made out of olives. It's made out of books. Hmm. So what this means is that no matter what you do, there is the common sense of what this is, and then there is a vision behind it, which is who you are, what you know, what you've studied, and where you want to go. And you can, with this mindset, you can turn a commodity product, like olive oil, into a luxury item in Harrods, where people will pay a outrageous amount of money to get, you know, half a liter of it. And this changes everything. You have music, which is sounds, organized, whatever the definition is, and then you might have something else. To find out more about Tommy, go to TommyDarker.com, Tommy, T-O-M-M-Y, Darker, D-A-R-K-E-R, Tommy Darker, all one word, dot com. And Musicpreneur Hub, go to Musicpreneur, that's M-U-S-I-C, Music, P-R-E-N-E-U-E-R, Hub.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyownercircle.com, or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and Google Play. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.